Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you can remember, last week on Sunday, we went through 41 verses. Absolutely weak. Today, we are going to do three chapters. Now, I won't go verse by verse all of it. I promise I will summarize some of it. But as we continue our story of Joseph, we pick up right where we left off. Now, you'll remember at the end of last week's text, Joseph had just interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. He had talked about the seven years of good, the seven years of extreme famine, and he had now ascended to the second highest level in all of Egypt. Only Pharaoh was before him. That chapter then concludes with we get to find out that then Joseph gets married, he has a couple of sons, the good years follow, and then the extreme famine comes. And in the midst of the famine, the story takes us back to Jacob, Joseph's father. And Jacob and his sons that are still down in Cana have no food. So Jacob sends his ten other sons, Joseph's brothers, down. In fact, we're told that he sends the ten down and he leaves someone behind. He leaves Joseph's youngest brother, Benjamin, behind. Now, Benjamin, as you may or may not remember, is Rachel's other son. And it would seem in the text that Benjamin is the new favorite, or at least that Benjamin, like Joseph before him, has now been given special treatment. The text actually tells us that Jacob is afraid to send Benjamin because he is afraid that on the journey harm would come to the boy. Ten brothers then arrive in Egypt from Cana, and Joseph recognizes them immediately, but they don't recognize Joseph. And they bow down, just like in the dream, and they ask Joseph to buy some grain for him. And the story gets really interesting because Joseph accuses the brothers of being spies. He says, you're not here to buy grain. You're here to try to find our, our weak spots. And they say, no, 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 we are not spies. We are all brothers. We have the same father. In fact, there were 12 of us. One of us is no more, and one has stayed behind. And on hearing this, Joseph said this to them. It's just as I told you. You're spies. No getting out of this. This is how I'm going to test you. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Now send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you are going to be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And the brothers start talking amongst themselves because they think Joseph can't understand them. Joseph's been using an interpreter this whole time. And they start to say to one another when Joseph says this, this, this is God punishing us rightly. He is punishing us because of what we did to our brother so long ago. When Joseph hears this, he hides his face because he starts to cry. And when he comes back, he changes his mind and says, only one of you is going to stay. Simeon, this one will stay behind. But the rest, you get to receive your grain, go home to your starving families. In fact, Joseph makes sure that on the way back, the money that they paid for that grain somehow finds its way back into the sacks of grain. And when they open up and they figure that out, they panic even more, saying God truly is rightfully punishing us for what we have done to our brother long ago. They get home, they tell Jacob the whole story about being called spies, about having to leave Simeon behind, how they're going to have to take Benjamin back with them the next time they go down there to get more food, and Jacob refuses. He says Joseph was killed. Simeon is now lost 
And if Benjamin dies, well, then I will die too. Reuben says, if you got to give us Benjamin. In fact, I will give you my two sons as collateral. When we go back, if something happens to Benjamin, I'll allow you to kill my two sons. But Jacob still refuses and says this, my son, talking about favorite Benjamin, will not go down there. Not with you. His brother is dead. And he, he says this to his ten other sons, is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you're taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. But because of the severity of the famine, they eventually run out of grain again and are in need of food, and Jacob tells them to go. And Judah says, we need to take Benjamin. And Jacob then starts complaining, why'd you even tell them about Benjamin? Why didn't you just keep your mouth shut? They said, what was we supposed to do? This man started asking us about our father. He started asking us about our family. We told him Benjamin's name, and all we did was answer him. And Judah says, I, I will bear the blame. If something happens to Benjamin, I will bear the blame for the rest of my life. And then their father Israel says to them, this is Jacob, if it must be, then do this. If you're going to take my favorite, then put some of the best products of the land in your bags, take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts, no shells, and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was just a mistake. Take your brother and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin doesn't even say the other brother's name come back with you. As for me, if I'm bereaved, then I am bereaved. When they get there, Joseph, upon seeing Benjamin, demands that they eat with him. They think it's a trap, but he assures them it's not a trap. And Simeon's released. Then they all come and they bow down in front of Joseph again. And they offer him all the gifts. Joseph asks, is the father still well? And is this the youngest brother? They say yes. And then he gets emotional again and has to leave. And later he comes back for dinner. And at dinner, all the brothers are seated around the table according to their age. And in front of Benjamin, the youngest, is five times the amount of food and drink that everyone else has. And the text tells us that this time the brothers, when they see this, there's only astonishment. No tinge of jealousy this time, just astonishment. Next day, they're on their way. Their sacks are filled with grain. Joseph puts the silver back in their sacks again. They don't realize this, but this time he also slips a special silver cup into someone's sack. And as they travel back, he has them stopped, and the guards come and say, we need to check your, your grain. You stole something from the master of the house. And they said, we did not steal anything. We would never do that. Check our bags. Whoever you find has stolen something from him, you may kill. And they open the bags, and who do you think the little silver cup's bag is in? It's in little Benjamin's. And at this, the brothers tear their own clothes, and they go back to the city to plead with Joseph. Joseph's still in the house when Judah and his brothers come in. They throw themselves to the ground before him three times, just like the dreams. Joseph said to them, what is this you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? He's still pretending to be Egyptian. But look at the brothers. This time they have come back. 
They come back knowing that this is wrong. The evidence was planted. They, they don't come demanding justice. They don't make excuses or lie. They just humbly fall to the ground and try to make a plea. A plea for Benjamin's life. These brothers could have given up. Could have left the favorite son. Gone home to their father and said, this son of yours stole the cup. What were we supposed to do? But instead they are here pleading for their brother. Judah says, what can we say to my Lord? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who is found to have the cup. Believing that God is punishing them for what they had done to their brother. And now throwing their lot in with him. Joseph says, far be it from me to be that mean. I'm not that mean. Only the one whose cup I, who took it, that one will be my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father. Go back in peace. In the brothers' minds, they were destined to live now as slaves for what they had done for selling Joseph as a slave some 20 years away, 20 years ago. And we find in this text an important truth. Time does not cover sin. Time does not cover up sin. Nor does sin stay hidden. Nor does it seem that sin can be forgotten. And we also see that history has a way of repeating itself, does it not? What it must have felt like to hear, this one goes to slavery and the rest of you Go back to your father. The rest of you go back to him in peace. Go back to your father and live your life. And these brothers can ditch the favored son, can take the food back to their families because their families are starving. These men have wives and children of their own now. Knowing that it will kill their father to lose another favored son. What will they choose? Will it be food in themselves or will it be their father's favored son, their favored brother? And so much of this story, we don't get to see the inner change. And so much of this story, we don't get to see the working of the hearts, the behind the scenes of what life was like for the 20 years that had happened since the brothers had sold Joseph into slavery. And surprisingly, in reply to Joseph about go ahead and leave, Judah gives this eloquent, impassioned speech called by some as the most moving speech in the Bible in which he pleads with Joseph on behalf of Benjamin's life. Luther called this speech a perfect model for prayer of how we approach God, suggesting that our attitude should be that of submission to God, surrendering to God, to His will that our minds, our hearts must be repentant and ready to act in response to that. And we must pray from our heart for we are to call out to God who is not impersonable but has a heart for us even though He is greater than us. And here is the speech by Judah. The speech in behalf of his brother who is his father's favorite. Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. 
My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, The boy can't leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told us, your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. And we went back to your servant, our father. We told him what you had said, Lord. And then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we can't go down. Only if our younger brother is with us can we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my my wife bore me two sons. He said this to his own sons. One of them went away from me. And I said, he has surely been torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. We've been looking at this story for so long today that I thought maybe for just a moment that we could go from listening to the story to experiencing it, to try to put ourselves in this story. And for today, I'd love for you to try and experience this as if you were Judah, the older brother who just gave this speech. And I want you to experience it not as someone who is trying to save their brother, not as someone who is speaking, trying to fix something that has gone wrong, not... I want you to experience it as the Judah who lived for so long before he spoke these words, the Judah that led to him speaking these words, a Judah who has lived his whole life knowing that his father has a favorite son and that his father treated that one son in a very special way. And him, you, well, you were wounded, you were hurt because... You were not loved the way you were supposed to be loved. And all your life you have been looked over. Just one of many, not important, not special. And one day you get caught up in all that anger, all that pain that you have been experiencing. And you suggest that this favorite brother must be sold into slavery. And you went from suggesting it to acting on it. And in your very own hands, you held the money in exchange for your brother's life. And then you went and you lied and said to the one who had been hurting you all your life, your son, whom you loved, looks like he's dead. And you thought you might be happy in that moment to hurt the one who hurt you. That you might be happy when you saw them cry. And ever since you've been living that life because you got rid of what you thought was the problem, the cause, your brother. But it didn't change anything. Your father didn't love you anymore now that the other one was gone. Nothing changed. And only now, with the anger, because of what has happened to you your whole life, you now also carry guilt and shame because your wound wasn't healed by revenge. It didn't make it better to hurt the one who hurt you. 
And then that father has another son. And it's the same story. Same favoritism, same love for another, same neglect for you. Having to live with the feeling that your dad doesn't really care about you. It's no wonder Judah had been angry and bitter and rejected and full of hate because that's the wound, the mark that Judah carries, the unmovable mountain in his life of pain. And it doesn't excuse what he's done, no. Hurt people hurt people, we know that, but that's not an excuse. And I don't agree that this story is a story about making up for past wrongs. Now, something happens in this story that we don't get to read about. Something happened that we didn't get the exact details of, but we know that it happened because it's the only answer for this speech that we heard and what's going to come next. It's the only explanation for the change that we see. We didn't get to see this moment, the moment of repentance, the moment of when Judah experienced for himself the mercy of God, where Judah experienced the forgiveness of God, the mercy, where in his life the brokenness and the wound and the wrong that he had done that had defined him for so long and driven him for so long, the moment when that lost its power. All we get to see is the change. We see a heart that has been changed and a heart that refuses to keep hurting. We see a heart that by grace and mercy refuses to let the hurt continue to reign over their life and choose instead to cry out for mercy on behalf of the favorite child. In this cry, Judah has sympathy for the father who has been hurting him his entire life. And he is going to offer his life for the life of his brother, a brother who is loved more than him. What can bring that kind of change? Who can heal that kind of wound? Who can move that mountain? Who can right that pain? Because it's certainly not time. It's certainly not picking yourself up, pretending like it never happened or anything like that, just kind of trying to move on. Only God can bring that kind of change. Because this is not guilt trying to do the right thing this one time. It's not shame, it's not fear, it's God and it's God alone. And so we come to this truth that some of us, many of us, have been hurt by others have been hurt by people who should never have hurt us. That we have a mountain of pain, a wound that we ourselves cannot overcome. But there is a voice, a voice that doesn't yell, a voice that doesn't shout, that doesn't talk fast with facts and points, doesn't make excuses or tell you to just get over it and do this instead, but a voice speaking through those attempts that we have done of trying to cover and hide, and a voice that offers more, a voice that whispers and quietly says, let me change your heart. It's a voice that doesn't say, go back into that situation, allow yourself to keep getting hard. No, the voice doesn't want pain for you. But it's a voice that speaks to your heart and says, allow me, allow God, allow me to remove the mountain. Allow me to remove the pain that you can't get past because my child, you are not able to do it. 
You are human. You are broken and beaten down and weighed down with the guilt and the shame and the pain of everything that has happened to you. But I, your God, who loves you, can change. I, your loving God, do not minimize your pain or what has happened to you. But I tell you the truth. I promise you I will show you that I will pull you close because I am greater than the pain that you have experienced. I am greater than the hurt that you have caused and the hurt done to you. Maybe you've heard all that before, but I am telling you, you can experience this. By His love, you are made stronger than you know. By His love, you are more than what has happened to you. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are not alone. You have peace. It is yours. Hope is never far from you because of Jesus Christ. And you can experience that change. Maybe it's been 20 years. Maybe it's been your whole life of having a wound, a mountain-sized pain. But it does not define you. God's voice found here in His Word, tasted and experienced in baptism in the sacrament. Seen in Jesus. Tells you, I choose you says, I keep you safe. I do not leave you. I am here to stay. And you can ask, how is this possible? What could change my heart? What can bring change? Why should I change? You don't really know what's happened to me. It's not me that needs to change. It's them. But Judah continues. He says this, if the boy's not with us when I go back to see your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy's not there, he's going to die. Your servant will bring the gray head of your father down to the grave in sorrow. You will, your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I don't bring him back to you, I bear the blame myself. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy go back with his brothers. How can I go back if the boy is not with me? Don't let me see that misery. Judah, who had done so much wrong, Judah, who had had so much wrong done to him was changed and was willing to be a slave in exchange for a brother who was loved more than him. Chose an act of love instead of an act of say, instead of hate. How much more? How much more does your God give for you? The cross is not some story we tell our children. It's not some jewelry we wear on our neck or put on a banner or on our wall. The cross is God's promise to you, His faithfulness to you, that He knows your pain, your guilt, your shame. He knows what you have done, and He knows what has been done to you. And He says it will not define you. Instead, the death of my Son will define you. You see a cross but I will give you an empty tomb. You see and you have pain, but I will give you life and healing and heart. You see an immovable mountain, I will make a path. You have had horrible things done to you, and you have done horrible things to one another. But come to me and stop hiding. Because this pain, this hurt, is not too much for me. This story 
shows us the mercy of God for us, the faithfulness of God for us, mercy for our sin, and mercy that says the wrongs done to us don't get the final say. Because sin and time and guilt and shame and fear bow to the power of Jesus Christ and his love and mercy for you. That is the gift of Jesus Christ to you and to me. That he takes it all and leaves you with himself. Leaves you with Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. And he does not stop. And he does not give up on you. Because his heart is for you. Amen.